when I got the offer to move to Japan and work in the tech industry, I was hesitant at first. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Designer Sushi, a podcast about the everyday life of a UX designer through the perspectives of two career switcher UX designers that have a shared working abroad experience in Japan. I'm your host, Lori, and I'm located in Toronto, Canada. And I'm your other host, Mika, and I'm located in Tokyo, Japan. So for this episode, we are going to be talking about, surprise, surprise, <laughs> work culture in Japan. Ooh. Right. So are we going to spill some tea or we're going to see. I we're think gonna the tea about... is going to be super hot on this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I'm pretty excited to talk about this because there's so much to discuss about this topic. And aside from that, we're also going to talk about how is the work culture in, in Japan different from our home country. So for Lori, it's Canada. And for me, it's Philippines. And Japanese language, is it really needed when you're working as a foreigner in Japan? Hmm. That's another question that we want to address in this episode. And lastly, do we recommend working in Japan as a UX designer? So if you're a junior designer, whether whichever level you are in, is Japan a good place to work as a UX professional? So hopefully we can dive deep in this episode. So but first, let's start with you, Lori. How is your experience with Japan work culture? Ah, okay. So I'm just going to start it off first by introducing the common stereotypes that we hear. So the media, they really like to portray Japanese work culture. Like you might have heard when you read on the internet, Japan is a lot of overtime, yeah, very intense work, work is their life, the structured hierarchy, not many women in leadership roles. Also the nomikai culture, which is the work drinking with your coworkers. So all of this is probably read somewhere in the internet because I've gotten questions about this through people I've met and I'm just going to ask well are these stereotypes true <laughs> so in my experience I would say these stereotypes are somewhat true and it depends if you're working for both a domestic company or in an international company so like a domestic company is going to be a Japanese Japanese started so it's only located in Japan whereas international companies they are mostly head office is in a different country, let's say like in Singapore, um, in the US, Australia, and then they have an office in Japan. So that's international company. They usually call it a gaishuke in Japanese. So I had the opportunity to work with both domestic and international companies in Tokyo, but not as a designer. But from my experience, I'm pretty sure like Mika can dive more into that. Japanese work culture is still the same regardless of the regardless of the title you have. Um, yeah. It's still good from my past jobs. It was still a good experience to deal with. So I worked at a domestic company when I was doing recruiting and then also with English teaching as well. From my experience with domestic company, some of these stereotypes were held very true to me. So I noticed that one of the things was that it was very task process. So a lot of times the work, they didn't like to change anything. So for example, first time I used a fax machine, never used it in my whole life and I had to use oh, it in no. Japan. <laughs> like how? 
how often did you have to use the fax machine? Oh my gosh. So this one company, <laughs> they didn't like, like we tried to migrate to say Google Drive then and they mm. didn't like that. They were like, no, we're going to be sticking with our communications using a fax machine. If I had to talk to a coworker, it was either on the phone or being wasting paper, messaging them and then faxing it to them. And faxing my timesheet as well too. I had to like write my timesheet. And if, if I made a mistake, let's say like I accidentally wrote a different number, for instance, they, in Japan, they don't like that. You have to be clean because they don't like it when you mm. like cross things out. And I had to rewrite it again. So it was like super time consuming. So that was the one thing I, I didn't like about domestic companies was that they were not very tech driven, didn't like to use technology, even though it was at their disposal. They just felt like, nope, this is how we did it in the past, fax machines and paperwork. So we're going to keep doing that. So that was the one thing that with domestic company that I dealt with was that they didn't like the change. Also in Japan, there is a lot of rules to follow. So I remember like one of the, the <laughs> domestic companies, I always had to say, otsukari-sama desu. So otsukari-sama desu, it's a Japanese term that you use with coworkers. It's like, I don't know, thank you for your hard work or something. You always yeah. you see a coworker. Yeah, you always say that. So like, I remember in, in if I was on the phone and I, if I didn't say otsukari-sama desu and they knew I was a coworker, I would get called out and be like, you didn't say otsukari-sama desu. How are you supposed to know you're a coworker? So I was like, oh, okay, sorry about that. So you're yeah, like- with that. I feel like they're very like rule driven. Like everything has to like, if the handbook says it, because the handbook did say that, that we need mm. to say that. Let's guard some of this to our coworkers. They really make you follow the employee handbook religiously. That was the thing I noticed too, is that they were very strict on the like, handbook and process. I also agree about the encourage to go to drinking with your coworkers. Sometimes mm. actually those were fun because sometimes the boss might pay for your drinks in Japan, which is a good thing because you don't have to spend money on getting drunk. So actually, I did enjoy <laughs> some of like those nomikais. But of course, like you have to like your coworker to enjoy them because it's the social norm to actually you have to go to them. It's yeah, it's kinda, yeah it kind of looks bad, right? Like when you are reject. But I always, for the yeah. most part, I think I've enjoyed them. Also, there was this, this structure hierarchy with between the more senior your level is in the company. So for example, someone that was a senior level or like a boss, I noticed that I had to act a certain way to them. Even though I was a foreigner, it still felt like there was this barrier between me and my senior level. So I wasn't allowed to like question and change ideas and never question their decisions. And I also felt like they wouldn't defend me if something happened. I know when I worked in recruiting and customer service, if a customer complained, my boss would not be on my side. They would be on that customer side because Japanese people, high level expectation of customer service here because the like, customer is God here. So if you do something wrong, it's in customer service, it's not a good thing in Japan. Whereas in Canada, it's like <laughs> the customer service. It's a service. different way of handling things, right? Yeah. Like I know in Canada, if I like complain to like, worker they wouldn't really care they would just be oh that's how the way it is or just like whatever they'll just shrug me off if i complain in japan as a customer they'll it's really bad they're super apologetic they're always on my side if i complain as a customer so i think in my experience customer service in japan was it was very intense it was very stressful so i can see why in that aspect that the work culture can be quite intense there yeah also doing if i interviewed for domestic companies i remember doing interviews on weekends and oh my gosh you did interviews on weekends yeah like i remember 
And I heard that was common, though, because Japanese people, they don't want to use their annual leave or their vacation to go to an interview. Right. Right. So they're so dedicated to their work. So sometimes they would set up interviews on the weekend. So I remember I had to go for an interview on the weekend once at like 10 a.m. And I'm like, ugh, that's Wow, I've never had to do that before. And I heard it's quite common for some domestic companies to set up interviews there. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think overall, like some of the stereotypes can be true. But I think there were some good aspects too. What I noticed about domestic companies is that they really focus on your coworkers or your team, like the team bonding, thinking about how we as coworkers can work as a team. And then you become very Mm. tight knit because being in a team is so important in Japanese culture that they really try to enforce that. So I think you can make really good tight knit friends there and you make really good work friends. So some of these work friends are still my friends today because they really valued the team bonding. And I think it was okay to be really good friends with the coworkers. Like I saw them day and night drinking with them, even on the weekends, because they became friends. But it could also mean be because I was a foreigner too. And like I worked with mostly foreigners. So we, we don't have friends or family here. So we just like in the end, we, like our coworkers become our friends. So it could be that as well, too. But I think that's what I noticed mostly compared to in Canada was that like, yeah, in Japan, people were very like the team bonding of it. But that was for the most part your domestic experience, right? Or is it also the same as your international experience here in Japan? My international company experience was with the travel company. And I think this is what I noticed with international companies. And I think I still discuss this with friends is that even though it's international, and that's mostly the goal for most Japanese people is to work international company in Japan, I still felt like they still followed Japanese work culture. So one thing I noticed when I worked in in travel that when I first started out sometimes I felt I had to earn respect within my coworkers when I was new in the company so I felt that they weren't taking my ideas seriously as a new person and it was only until I proved myself Mm. within those months that I felt that I could gain the respect. So I did feel in that sense in Japanese work culture, it was that there was like so many like senpais ahead of me that was doing the job really well. And if I like had a good idea, they wouldn't reciprocate or they wouldn't acknowledge it until I had stayed there longer. So that was what I noticed about that. There's still some Japanese work culture they're following in international companies. But overall, I think international companies, they are mostly thinking about the work-life balance. So I remember we did like we would do Hanami too. So we brought like our own food from our home country. And we did do premium Fridays in the summers. Premium Fridays was like it's different for every company. But usually in general in Japan, it's just a way to to have fun in the office. So it could be many things like premium Friday at that company for me was they would the company would buy us lunch, Mm. we all eat together, or it could be like a half day, for example, did also work field trips too. But I don't know if that was because I was in travel. But they really encouraged all of us to go to a food tour together or even to go to a different area like Hakone or like Guma, for instance. But it could be because I worked in travel then. But they were really emphasizing, yeah, like work field trips and like work retreats. So I think you had a lot of team building in your company. That international company followed that sense of Japanese culture, like Mm. the team bonding but then like they also there was a lot of women in leadership in that company too so because in Japan it's like women are mostly admin roles or like they're secretaries and serving tea like to clients but like in international companies definitely see women in leadership roles oh um, they're more involved in 
in the business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like compared to like domestic companies. So I think like international mm. companies, they have that blend of both Japanese culture and then the international outlook, like women in leadership, trying not to work overtime and having the team bonding and more annual leave too. So I think that's a good thing, actually, if they do that, because like you're in Japan and obviously culture seeps in. So I think it, in the end, it's if you want to work in an international company in Japan, there will be some aspects of Japanese work culture, but I think it won't be as intense as the domestic companies. Mm, so you would say, which one would you prefer then? I guess you would prefer the international one, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. hands down hands down yeah 100 i think i know that for sure is that i didn't like the strict rules in domestic culture and as a woman too it it's a bit harder to move up and to get your voice heard so international Mm. company they're more likely to because sometimes the bosses are not even japanese they could be foreigners so they were more open-minded so that's why i felt yeah international companies are just more open-minded what about you, Mika? What's it like, Japanese work culture, for you? Oh, well, for me, I would say I'm one of the outliers. My, ex- I mean, I was just listening to how experience was here in Japan, and I feel like some of them was the opposite of my own experience. So I've had the opportunity to work in both corporate, like traditional Japanese company, as well as a Japanese startup and a multinational corporate company. And I would say common things that they do have is, and this may come as a surprise to most listeners, not as much overtime as I did when I was in the Philippines. Yeah, I actually did more overtime in when I was in the Philippines. So when I first got the offer to work in Japan, I was actually pretty terrified, (laughs) to be honest, because it's known worldwide that Japan has this super hustle culture, especially at work where if you do overtime, you'll be seen as the more hardworking employee versus someone who leaves the office early. And so when I got the offer to move to Japan and work in the tech industry, I was hesitant at first because I was a bit afraid of like, what if I have to do even more over time when I get there. But then to my surprise, the company that I got hired for, they were pretty cautious of foreigners doing overtime. So meaning when we get to the client, because the the way that I got hired was it was through a dispatch company. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Lori, but Mm -hmm. basically you are under dispatch company and then they get you interviewed to their clients. And then when after that, if their clients want you, then you will be dispatched Dispatch to the client's office and then you will work there. At the time, I was doing software engineering. And so I got dispatched to these two companies in Shizuoka Prefecture in particular. So it was countryside, like not much going on kind of area. Like I said, to my surprise, they didn't make me do overtime. If my boss sees me still at the office at around 6 or 6.30 p.m., they would literally ask me to leave and go home. Oh my Okay, you don't have to do this today. You can do it again tomorrow. No worries. (laughs) So it was 
such a stark contrast to my expectation. And funny enough, well, you can consider it funny or not, but I was actually doing less work than some English teachers that I know who are working in Tokyo. Oh, like they were putting so much more hours than me and I was doing software engineering. Oh, so I, I was getting paid more, but they were putting in more work. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I must be super lucky because there are also other folks that I know who are doing the same work, but then their experience was completely different from mine. And I don't know how else to put it. I guess I just got lucky, you know, but yeah, that has been my experience in the traditional corporate Japan. But another pro was they provided for my housing. So when I initially got hired, so they were the ones paying for my rent and they were pretty much helpful. So whenever I had struggles, like I would, I can ask for help and they would be super happy to assist me. And I gained a lot of friends too in those companies because I guess towards foreigners, they're more lenient, they're, they're less strict. And my observation was my Japanese colleagues, they had so much more pressure on them than on me because of course they're native Japanese. So there's more expectation for them to behave in a, you know, how to behave in a traditional Japanese company versus if you're a foreigner working for a Japanese company, if you want to, let's say you want to leave early, they're more understanding because they're going to think, oh, she's she's a foreigner. So I guess like it's okay. And they pretty much asked me to go home early anyway. So it's, it's okay with them. And I think that also has something to do with the contract that I had with the client. So I think there's also like a cap as to how many hours I can work. So even if they say they want me to they want me to do overtime. They literally cannot make me do more hours than what was in the contract. Mm -hmm. So I guess that also was such a huge help. So there wasn't much expectation for me to be in the office late in the evening every day. So that's how my experience in the corporate Japan company was like. And then when I finally switched to full-time UX UI designer, it was with a Japanese startup company. And contrary to how I was in the corporate environment, because in the corporate environment, it's kind of like what you mentioned, Lori, where you cannot really be too assertive in your role because usually the decisions have already been made at the top and you just need to kind of implement whatever they've decided on. But when I switched to a Japanese startup company, it was kind of an adjustment for me because all of a sudden you need to be more assertive at your job. Because <laughs> oh. yeah, like they always ask for my input. They want to know what I think about the product. And I kind Kind of have to position myself again into being more opinionated in my work and be more proactive as opposed to my previous experience was where I just take orders and, you know, I just execute on whatever they want me to do. And I briefly worked for that startup for a little over a year before moving to my current work right now, which is multinational company here in Japan, in Tokyo. And I would say the transition itself wasn't that hard in the sense that, of course, my role is pretty much the same. Like I'm a designer and the only difference is that I'm working with so much more people now as compared to the startup company where it's only a couple of people and it's more close-knit. But in a corporate multinational setting, you know, instead of just pitching an idea to, let's say, five people, now I'm pitching an idea to 100 people in a conference call, let's say. But the job description is pretty much the same. Of course, there are differences in terms of like the pay 
pay and the benefits and all that. But I would say overall, my experience in the work culture in Japan is pretty good because I was lucky enough to be hired by companies who made sure that I don't overwork myself. And I mean, overall, I, I had a good amount of autonomy, especially now in my current job where I'm given a lot of freedom to make decisions and suggest things on how we can improve not just the product or the things that we ship, but also the way we work. So we're given free reign as to like, hey, if you have any idea on how we can improve our workflow, then feel free to suggest. But again, in a corporate company, that can be difficult to implement because most of the time they already have systems in place. But still, it's helpful that, you know, they're open and at least in my space in the company, I can implement my own style of work. So that's one of the, I guess, the upsides uh, for working in a multinational corporate company in Tokyo. Because even though there's that Japanese work culture that's being implemented there, at the same time, a lot of foreigners are working in that company too. So we get to suggest things on how we want to collaborate with each other. So we don't have to like adhere to the traditional um, Japanese way of working where it's too focused on process where sometimes they don't want to pivot their process, even if it means it, people will be more productive because they want to stick to what they think is working. So they're more flexible as compared to the traditional corporate Japan. Okay. Yeah, there's still hope in working for Japan. Yeah, there, there's hope. I mean, it, <laughs> like your experience would really totally depend on where you work. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say my story is... I wouldn't say that it's super rare, but I wouldn't say that it's a common experience either. Yeah. I got super lucky, I would say. Mm -hmm. For sure. Maybe I probably would still be in Japan if you were getting treated. Like <laughs> but I did like, I did totally relate how you were like, oh yeah, as foreigners, we're not expected to do follow the similar aspects of the Japanese culture, like staying late or as a woman too, we didn't have to, let's say, like serve men like food and stuff. I love that. Like, yeah, yeah. In Japan, they always <laughs> give us that foreign card oh you're a foreigner you don't have to do this just do your own thing yeah but then at, although for me I still have to kind of mind how I conduct myself because it would reflect not just on me but also to other Filipinos who, who are going to be coming in and working in Japan because Japanese people they really put emphasis on first impression like thing they, they really go by the saying of first impressions last mm -hmm. I would say especially in a corporate setting so it's super important to really conduct yourself properly and get along with your co-workers especially as a foreigner so you don't want to be that you know not a rebel but someone who doesn't want to comply or who doesn't who always breaks the rules you know so you really have to have that balance of okay you're a foreigner but you should also respect how things are run at your company whether you like it or not because i mean at the end of the day you are an employee there and you're expected to get along with your colleagues and another thing I just remembered was we use a lot of Internet Explorer in... <laughs> in the Japanese corporate environment. Although right now, I think, I don't know if you've heard of the news, Lori. They decommissioned Internet Explorer. That's what, yeah. Microsoft. They're uh, using like, what, Edge right? now or something? Well, I use Chrome, so. Yeah, Edge. <laughs> <laughs> so, goodbye, Internet Explorer. <laughs> it's been fun, but... <laughs> 
But yeah, Japan's like, still it, it was so yeah, it was so surprising to me when when they gave me the laptop in my previous work, and they're like, okay, um, yeah, just you cannot install the other software. You, we only use Internet Explorer here. I'm like, seriously. <laughs> Well, that's another thing. Japan's still behind in some in technology. Yeah, like it's it's interesting because you would expect that Japan is super high tech, which of course Japan is. Uh, I mean, they they're pretty good in you know coming up with new technology, but then at the same time they still have that value of hesitant in terms of adapting to new technologies, adapting the new ways of doing things. I mean, we still have the the hanko, right? We still mm-hmm. have the stamp where if you go to the bank and you don't have your hanko or your stamp with you, you cannot sign documents. So things like that. There's still so many things that people might say that are still behind. That, that Why aren't they adapting to new ways? But then again, there's still that traditional value and which may or may not make sense, especially if it's your first time coming into Japan and living and working here. There are things that would probably puzzle you and you might ask like, why are they still doing it? But then it all boils down to Japan's Japan valuing you know the traditional way of doing things. So yeah, that's just my take on it. Thanks so much, Mika, for sharing. So I guess this is a good segue now to talk about the difference between working in Japan and in our home country, Canada and the Philippines. So there might be some similarities or there might be some differences. For me, my home country is in Canada. The main difference that I noticed is that, well, this is not really work culture, but this is like a work standard and I wanted to call it out. But I love that in Japan, companies, they pay for your commute. Yeah. Right? In Canada, they don't. And it's the same, almost the same cost of commuting, probably even more. And if you live in, let's say in Tokyo, the commute probably costs like 20,000 yen. So like 200 US dollars they cover. And that saves so much money off of that. Whereas like in Canada, I have to pay almost probably even more of that commute Mm. out of my own pocket. So I think I love that aspect of Japan. So thank you, Japan, for covering my public transportation, both during like (laughs) work life and personal (laughs) life too. So I love that. But also I do like in like... Canada that it's okay to question and give opinions and feedback about your boss's leadership. And in fact, it's more encouraged. We'll always do surveys and be like, hey, how's your boss leadership, for example. So they do encourage you to have your own opinions and your own ideas. Also, taking initiative is very important in Canada. And often, if you take initiative, this shows that your interest in the company, and then this often leads Mm. to promotion. So a lot of times you have to be bragging and showing off your achievements. And that's mostly encouraged here in Canada. And that, yeah, lead to promotion. So yeah, on LinkedIn, everyone's loud on LinkedIn, if you notice in like Western countries. (laughs) But that's our culture is that we need, yeah, we need to be loud because we want that promotion. We need that recognition. And then Western culture, like in Canada, you need to do that to stand out. So I think that's one thing that I still have trouble dealing with because I'm someone that doesn't like to brag about my achievements, but I have to if I want a promotion. So that's one thing I'm still like a bit not really liking, but I have to do it. So I'm like training myself to do that. And then Mm -hmm. another thing, oh, what I like is that they're more welcoming for new employees. So when you're new in like Canada, off the bat, you don't really have to earn respect. Your coworkers, they will take your idea if it's a good idea. It wouldn't be like, oh, sorry, you like you're new, so you don't know. They are very encouraging of that. So I always felt welcomed and part of the company the minute I started. And then yeah, as you know, yeah, there's no overtime. Work life balance is really good. They really encourage that. And then there's a lot of talk on mental health as well. And then also I noticed between Japan and Canada, like mostly domestic company in Japan, but 
in Japan, promotions are based off of like, how long have you worked in that company? So if you work there for three years, you're most likely to get a promotion compared to someone that worked there for one year. Rather than in Canada, it's mostly based on your skill. So if, if you worked for a company for one year, and you're more qualified than for someone that worked there for three years, you will get that promotion in Canada. So I think I like that aspect because it shows that if you do the hard work, then you're you will reap the rewards. So I like that promotion scale in Canada compared to like the seniority, how loyal and senior you are in Japan. Also in Canada is that, yeah, there's a lot of fun initiatives and in work. Like they have a social community club. You even have employee resources groups. So like these groups could be based off of interest, like baking or gardening, or they could be based off of like religion as well. So yeah, they really try to make work a fun environment. <laughs> and whereas in Japan, it's like you just do the work and then that's it. And then after work, we go for drinking like that. <laughs> oh yeah. And also, of course, like, you see definitely see women in leadership roles and women are more respected in the workplace in Canada. So that's one aspect I like about working in Canada. Also, Canada, it's a bit selfish in your work, meaning that your work life and your personal life is not mixed together. So if there's like a work outing, mm -hmm. you're not obligated to go. So that's what I mean by selfish like that. You can just set that boundary being like, hey, I just want to be like, do my work and that's it. And that's okay. That you really is. draw the line. Yeah, they do. It's And it's okay for that. So that's what I mean that it's like a bit selfish in your work. Like sometimes they're a bit with the teamwork and the team culture. Like they started to get more into that recently in Canada. But I felt like in Japan, that team culture, the present was stronger than in Canada. Oh, in Canada, they really will want you to ask questions compared to in Japan. Because when you ask questions, it shows that you are interested. So and if you're not asking questions, it means that oh, it shows you're not interested in the work or you're just like, don't know. But to me personally, how I see this aspect is that sometimes I just don't want to ask questions because I already know and I just want to do the job. It's so, a case by case. Yeah, exactly. So I think those that ask questions, they're the ones that are looked more smarter. Whereas I think in Japan, it was more like, this is the way it is. You don't need to ask questions. So I'm like torn between like in the middle. I'll ask questions if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> when you said that about asking questions, I think it goes back to that value, what's being valued in Canada, which is like being loud, right? Like yeah. You have to be <laughs> as loud as you can and really work on your own self-promotion to yeah. get noticed, right? Yeah, to get noticed. Yeah, for sure. You explained it. Yeah, you need to get noticed. If it's in a big company, especially, you have to be the loud in order to, I guess, leadership to see the work that you're doing. But like, in my opinion, I think I'm not really the one to brag about my achievement. It's something that I have to do because that is the culture. So I have to just roll with it. Actually, there are times where I was just too loud in Japan and they were like saying, how I'm so outspoken. I need to just do the job. <laughs> but then I also rolled with that. I'm a foreigner. I didn't know about this. <laughs> like you have an automatic excuse. But I think overall, yeah, working in Canada, like it's still a pretty good experience and they really value the work-life balance. And I think that that's where I'm at right now in my life. Because I know that in Japan, the labor laws is that the longest you can work is nine hours a day. So some companies work eight hours a day in Japan. But unfortunately, the companies that I worked at, they always chose the longest that you could work, which is nine hours a day. So 9am to 6pm. So I've always worked in Japan 9am to 6pm. So I like in Canada, it's like wow. eight hours a day. <laughs> But yeah, how about you, Mika?
Rika, what's it like in the Philippines? Oh my. <laughs> oh god. Well, I, I don't know. Okay, let me come clean with this. I don't know if I'm the reliable person to ask about what it's like working in the Philippines, to be honest. Because I work for, even when I was in the Philippines, the company that I work for is a Japanese company who just happens to have a Philippine branch. So the the work culture is still kind of similar to Japanese, but I guess the only difference is that we have so much team building. I mean, we always have an event almost every month, and then we have an events committee that organizes all these team building activities for the entire company. And I was part of, of the sports committee and the events committee at one point. And we would, the employees, we would actually go to, for example, if we have this summer outing. So the committee members would go out and then look for places where we could have the team building. And then we would pitch it to the management. Like, hey, this is where we want it to be. This is the budget and all that. And so we have those things going on. And it's super easy to make friends in the corporate environment because when you get hired, usually people are, super friendly and you could easily strike a conversation with anybody and there's always that leniency in mixing work and play in a sense that you can have like a water cooler conversation with your coworker while doing work so it's not oh you have to be strictly professional all day every day but can have fun while doing your job and but then like I mentioned earlier because the nature of my work was in software development so whenever we have releases for software we sometimes have to pull an all-nighter just to make it to the deadline so that's why i mentioned that i was doing more overtime in the philippines compared to here in japan because we had those moments where we really have to make it to the deadline no matter what and so i had to pull off an all-nighter at times just to make sure that the software is delivered and there weren't any bugs and you can imagine it was pretty tough but at the same time it was enjoyable just because the people that I was working with were so much fun and it's like we're together in the struggle you know Mm -hmm. It's always much better if you're struggling together with other people as opposed to when you're just by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that was like one of the stark differences that I that I would say is that in the Filipino work environment, it's so much easier to open up to your coworkers, not just professionally, but even, you know, if you're going through something personal, you can share it with a friend from work and they can help you out. And it's easy to form a community in your workplace, mm -hmm. whereas in Japan. It, it can be pretty tough because usually, for example, whenever we go to lunch, usually they keep to themselves during lunch breaks. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I see that, for example, my manager in the previous company, whenever it's lunch break, he's just all by himself in his desk and that's it. He doesn't mingle with other people. Whereas once the clock strikes 12 in the Philippines, well, everyone will stand up and everyone will like mingle with each other and then look for a place to eat together. Also, it's communal. And Everyone goes super, to lunch. Oh, okay. Super communal. Yeah, and then we always have this common bond where it's an hour lunch break. And then usually we would eat quickly. And then around 15 minutes before the end of lunch break, we would all be in, in the same area in the office. And we would play some games together in the office. Oh my gosh, I've never done that before. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And sometimes people would bring their guitars in the office. Oh, and so we would have jam sessions during lunch breaks. So we would reserve a conference room, for example, during lunch break. Because usually no one would be doing meetings during lunch, right? And so 
we would eat quickly and then we would we would have this conference room reserve and then some people would have their guitars and then we would jam out until the lunch break is over oh wow i'm just like it's thinking, super like, different right <laughs> i even like in canada i know that yeah we well, like you said like you can feel comfortable talking to your coworkers in the philippines about like personal life I, like i do feel that too but i think that like yeah like the, the communal lunch i've only done that once in japan but in canada i've never done that it's like if we want to go for lunch we just do it like yeah just ourselves oh, wow. uh, or we can invite people that we like for that it's not like a whole like 12 o'clock okay we all go out like everyone in the team goes out i know in japan i did that but not here in canada oh, wow I, I would expect that in canada it's more communal compared to japan but it depends on like if i was friends with them with my co-workers then yeah we'd all mm. like coordinate our lunches but it wasn't like a designated okay lunchtime everyone goes and i think what i noticed yeah in japan when i worked at the international company it was yeah 12 o'clock is the time and then we all went out to eat and then at that time there's some co-workers i knew at that office that they would be napping or like watching tv or going out for lunch too so i think that was interesting what i know like, yeah i mean for in my experience like whenever the clock strikes 12 or 12 30 everyone would just stand up at the same time and then everyone will know where to meet up outside the building and then everyone will know where where we're going and then it's just like it's super rare for me to eat lunch alone at work i'm usually with at least five people whenever i eat my lunch because it's always like a team building in and of itself in the philippines Mm -hmm. and so we always bond over food and then there's always going to be someone who's going to bring in the snacks at work and then during like work hours we can just like hey can i have some of your snacks Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we really put emphasis on like bonding together, especially in the workplace too, because you know you're you're working with each other, so it's super important that you get along, right? And that's I guess one of the hallmarks of being in a Filipino working environment. There's always food. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter when at the time of the day, there will always be someone who has food on their desk. In terms of like benefits and pay, of course, Japan pays so much more. But then, of course, the cost of living is way higher than it is in the Philippines. And getting around the city in general, of course, Japan takes the cake because Japan has this incredible transit system place and you can go pretty much anywhere and it won't take as much time whereas in the philippines our transportation the way transportation works there isn't as advanced so it's quite difficult to get around and get to work because you're usually met with this traffic all the time especially in the morning and it's difficult to get to work oftentimes because of that but that's why when I got to Japan and then when my boss said like hey I'm afraid your workplace is gonna be an hour away from your home but it's just a one bus ride away and I don't get stressed at all because it used to be in the Philippines I would take at least two or three rides just to get to work and you always have to line up because people are always lining up to just get a ride unlike in japan if you have the the suika the train pass then you can just get to wherever you need to go and and it's not inconvenient at all so that's one of the the things that sets japan apart and not just from the films but i guess from the rest of the world because 
Japan is known for its exquisite public transportation system. And I would say another thing, well, of course, in Japan, you know, you always have to be on time. They really put emphasis on that. And so your work ethic is really gonna be honed when you work for a Japanese company. But a downside to that could be something that we've already touched upon before was they're so they really want to stick to the process that they already have and they can be inflexible at times but all that considered i would still say that at least in my experience has been a pleasant working experience because i got lucky in terms of the companies that i worked for and the people that i've met so that's my take on my work experience comparing philippines to japan and so let me segue now to our next topic which is japanese language so do we need it like how did we learn for me i learned it from my previous company in the philippines because the company that i work for is japanese company and it was part of our uh, metrics so if the higher your japanese skill level is the more likely you're going to be promoted and so i studied japanese for free basically in my company and that's how i learned the language and yeah so if you're wanting to okay let me just go back to that so in my previous company whenever we develop the software so the specifications that we get are always in japanese that's why all the employees are kind of mandated to learn it because how can you build something if, if you cannot understand the requirements which is was written in japanese and so that's why it was a requirement for all the employees to study the language Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good in, though that they like yeah. need for you to learn it. I heard some companies they did that in Japan. If you are a foreigner, mm. they'd be like, "We also subsidize your Japanese language because Japan is like a must if you're working in Japan." So it's a good thing that they did that. Yeah. So we basically were paid to learn J- Japanese. Oh, that's so in... oh, that's so different from me. <laughs> What about you, Lori? For me, when you're working in Japan, yeah, Japanese language is a must. But it depends on like the company's official language. I know I've talked to other UX designers in Japan. They said that they really need to master Japanese language. I don't know if that was with you, Mika. But I know that if you work with clients and the users that they have, it's the Japanese language, like the business level definitely helps. So for me, because most of the foreigners I knew in my in my company, they all spoke at least business level Japanese. So I felt a bit self-conscious and I wanted to just communicate more smoothly with suppliers at that time. So I actually enrolled myself in Japanese language school and I had to pay this out of my own pocket. It's like two hours a week. And then I did some studying and mm. like homework after I finished class. But I felt that in the end, it was worth it. I was able to uh, learn a bit about the culture because with language, you learn the culture and then also be able to communicate with suppliers a lot easy and also with my daily life as well. So like, I was able to, I was at the N3 level. So like in Japan, they classify by like N5, the lowest and N1, the highest. So I was in the middle N3, which gets you by. So I, if I needed something in Japan, I could get what I want, but I couldn't speak the, um, the whole Kego, which is the Japanese business language. But I know Mika, you're very good at it. I remember you were telling me that you had to learn it. And I was like, oh, wow, you're pretty good at this. And then explain like charts and stuff. Yeah. When I was in Shizuoka and, I was, again, also paid to study Japanese. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so we focus on the business way. So business Japanese. And we used to have these role-playing sessions where we pretend that, oh, we're getting a call from the client. So how do you respond to the client in business Japanese? So we had all these scripts that we can use to talk to the customer. And we practice our Japanese in that way. And it was, I think, around I think around two to three hours per week. And then I have other foreigners there too who studied with me. So they really wanted us to be more skilled in terms of Japanese language, which of course, an obvious thing is if you're working for a Japanese corporate company, that is something that's expected of you, if, especially if you're a foreigner. So yeah, I've learned there. But then when I moved to Tokyo, I totally forgot all about that because I didn't need Japanese anymore in my day-to-day -day work because everyone can speak English. Even my Japanese co-workers, they can all speak in English. The only time that I ever use my Japanese is if I'm talking to the sales team because most of the time the sales team are all native Japanese speakers and usually they can understand English but if you talk to them in English they, they can probably make out what you're saying but they would still respond to you in Japanese so that's the only time that I talk in Japanese and especially now in my current job even the emails because it's multinational so mm. majority of the people in my team are foreigners so whenever they send out corporate emails it's always in Japanese and then English and so I don't really need to use my Japanese at all. But that's, again, that's an outlier. Because <laughs> usually Japanese is still the main language in most companies. And so, of course, you're going to need that skill. And not just in a corporate setting, just, you know, by living here in Japan, of course, you, you need to have that knowledge and be at least familiar with the culture. So you'll know how to properly conduct yourself while you're living mm -hmm. here in Japan. Yeah, I do agree, though, that it's definitely if you are living in working in Japan because that is the official language. So I do recommend if, if you want to um, like live in Japan, you have to at least attempt to speak it because English is not spoken even in like your daily life too. So like mm. while like at work, it's fine. But after work, it's a whole different game. So I think just like learning it, it can help both work and your personal life too. And it is, I think as a Japanese as a second language, it can be challenging. But once you're living in Japan and you learn so fast like I was just saw the level that I went through when I took Japanese lesson and the fact that I was just in that environment to be talking in Japanese it really helped mm. me speed up my fluency compared to if I was learning it here where I didn't know anyone that speaks Japanese I did not hear it all the time so I think you will definitely pick it up once you're learning the language and then you have like you're forced to speak it so when you're put in a situation where you have no choice but to speak Japanese you're gonna be surprised <laughs> yeah you're surprised at like your the level yeah. of thinking and the comprehension yeah. too. Like I, I even like surprised myself. I'm actually doing this. Yeah, like you'll find out that you can pull off so much vocabulary for, <laughs> from on the top of your head once you're in that situation where you have to speak in Japanese. Yeah, right. Sure. Okay, so I guess the next question, then the ultimate question: Do you recommend work as a UX designer, Mika? Well, short answer: Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. After all that complaining. It. Yeah, after all the tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after all the tea. 
yeah, still, yeah, come to Japan. <laughs> yeah, I would still recommend it. And especially as a foreigner, because here in Tokyo, there's a super vibrant and tight -knit, tightly knit tech community. And so you will be able to get a lot of opportunities and meet people and grow in your career, even as a foreigner, because the foreigner tech base, so people who are developers, designers, so most of the time, the networks are interconnected with each other so usually i would be in so many meetups where i would be surprised that oh this person that i know is also acquainted with another person that i know and it's because the foreigner tech community is pretty involved with each other so i would say if you're looking into growing your ux skill there's so many uh, opportunities for you here in japan and to collaborate with other tech professionals and you can pretty much do whatever that's the thing here in Tokyo like you can if you want to build an app like try build an app you know you can ju you just need to find the people who want to collaborate with you so there's so much possibilities as well so if you are interested in growing your career and meeting uh, people from all over the world then I would say working in Japan would be worth it for you and in addition to that designers in particular they are becoming more in demand now in recent years because it used to be that companies don't really see the value of design. They're looking for more software engineers, but I think now the need for designers has gone up and up. And I think it's just going to go even further from here. And especially if you're a senior designer, you're going to be super valuable in the Japanese market. So that's in short, yes. And language skills, I would say it depends on which company you work for. So in my case, I didn't technically need Japanese, but of course, it's still better for you to learn about the language and the culture before coming to Japan. And overall, it, it's a good experience. So it depends on a lot of factors. How your Japan experience is going to be like would ultimately depend on where you're going to end up working and who you'll be uh, meeting and who, who you'll be working with in Japan. So I would say go for it. If you're listening and you want to work in Japan, go for it because there's a lot of opportunities, especially in the tech space. How about you, Lori? What's your take on this? I definitely agree with you, Mika. Yeah, it's a good experience working in Japan. So if you're thinking about starting your design career in a different country, I definitely think give Japan a shot. Just like you said, Mika, like Japan has a vibrant and tight-knit tech community. Very international too. Over, over 20 different nationalities, solving problems for Japanese users. And yeah, Japan has a lot of tech jobs and not many of the locals there, they don't have the skills. So they're always needing foreigners to fill them in. And yeah, I do agree that you ha have to know Japanese. But yeah, some companies you don't need it. But it definitely helps for cultural reasons yeah. and for daily life. So it's always recommended if you want to live in Japan to learn Japanese either way. And then sometimes salary may not be high compared to like Western countries. But I think usually Western countries like USA, Canada, Australia, they're the top of your next opportunity in tech or even in design. But if you're not able to get in to these countries, I always 
tell people like, hey, Japan is also a good alternative because it's a stepping stone. So if you don't get into like these Western countries, then try Japan and then you might get into you might get into these countries after you worked in Japan for so long because Western countries love Japan. And I want to leave Canada. I would love to <laughs> work in a different country. See, see you soon, Lori. I know. So I myself don't want to live here. But that like I know Western countries ideal, but just try working in Japan. There's a lot of tech jobs, a lot of design jobs. It's just the Japanese. I know it's a Japanese language. That's a barrier. But I think there are some companies, I think as more and more companies value UX, I do see it being English being the main language in the future. Japan is just a bit slow. It's coming. Yeah. They're slow. They're but... becoming more international. Exactly. Now, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's always that demand for language teachers, especially English. And Japanese people that I know, they always go out and to learn English somewhere. Especially in the Philippines, they usually go to Cebu, oh, yes, uh, yeah. which is Cebu City. Mm-hmm. So it's known for among Japanese people as a vacation destination and at the same time, a place where they can uh, learn English. So I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of folks who have done that. And I think especially the younger generation, they're pretty open. They are pretty international in their way of thinking. And I think that's the direction that the tech scene in particular in Japan is taking, which is growing within Japan, but at the same time, venturing in international markets. So I would say try Japan. And I think it could be a good experience for um, aspiring designers and even for um, senior level designers. I think it's the compensation of the benefits, the salary is pretty good. So overall, I would recommend it. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. We're always looking to improve as we're just starting this podcast. So if you have any feedback or topics you want to share, please follow and DM us at Instagram at designer.sushi, Twitter at designersushi. Or you can also send us an email at designersushipodcast at gmail.com. To get updates on new episodes, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts at Designer Sushi. Thanks everyone for the support and catch us again for the next episode.